This is Grafted Together with ACSI Chief Ministry Officer, Jerry Nelson. Existence, as you know it, is over. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. If you're like me and hear terms like the age of artificial intelligence or singularity being suggested as within means in the next decade or two, your ears perk up and your mind immediately hits replay on all the sci-fi movies you've consumed over the years. iRobot, Terminator series, and of course, everyone's modern favorite, The Matrix. For me, it's not hard to heed the warnings of these gifted and seemingly prophetic dystopian writers. Additionally, when transformative thinkers such as Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking sound the alarm for the fires they most likely started, some of the trepidation we may have about this new super tech seems warranted. And of course, AI makes me wonder if Solomon's conclusion is still true. Is there nothing new under the sun? Well, let me Google it. Sorry, that's so 1990s. Let me ask ChatGPT and see what it is says. Or perhaps I've got it all wrong. Solomon meets singularity. The new wisest being, I, I mean machine, on the block. Where well, if you are one of those who are feeling a little nervous about where all of this is headed, you're not alone. A bit of caution is not a bad thing. Mary Shelley's classic has become a powerful, all-inclusive cautionary tale and adjective to describing the consequences of human activity gone awry. I mean, I don't know many aspiring to be like Dr. Frankenstein. Well, at the same time, this cautiousness should not paralyze us, believers in particular, from exploring ways this new super tech can aid the advancement of the gospel and accelerate, if possible, the coming of the kingdom. Hey, I'm Jerry Nelson, and this is Grafted Together. In this two-part episode, I want to explore six ways we can think well about artificial intelligence. Number one, prioritize kingdom advancement. Number two, trust in God alone. See AI as a gift and a tool, not a savior nor an enemy. Thirdly, always affirm humans as special creations of God, image bearers, not AI. Number four, remember that how one uses any tool, in this case AI, flows from his or her worldview. And then in part two, I want to get a bit more practical and explore some ways we can use AI to improve stewardship of relationships, time, talents, and treasure. And then lastly, explore ways that AI can enhance our creativity, productivity, and social responsibility. And so if we're gonna think well about anything, it's important that we define our terms, explore its implications for our paradigm, ask what scripture says about it, and look into history for any philosophical and paradigmatic or pragmatic parallels. From the outset, I'm not an expert on AI, but I, I think there's enough information in the digital stratosphere to draw some conclusions on how we might approach this topic. So what is AI? Well, builtin.com describes AI as artificial intelligence, a wide ranging branch of computer science concerned with building smart machines capable of performing tasks that typically require human intelligence. 
And while AI is an interdisciplinary science with multiple approaches, advances in machine learning and deep learning in particular, they are creating a paradigmatic shift in virtually every sector of the tech industry. Artificial intelligence allows machines to model or even improve upon the capabilities of the human mind. And so some current applications that we know of include the development of self-driving cars to the proliferation of generative AI tools like OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT, Google's Bard, Dolly2, Jasper, Midjourney, and everybody's favorite, Alexa. So generative AI depends on access to large data sets to train on. They are popular because their predictive qualities mimic human intelligence. So as we know it, this type of AI is increasingly becoming a part of everyday life and, and every company, almost every company it seems, across every industry is investing in it. And then there appears to be four types or maybe phases of AI. Number one, there's reactive machines. Uh, these are machines that carry no memory. They're very task specific. So we think about Deep Blue or your Netflix recommendations. And then there is the limited learning machines. These are deep learning algorithms. They get smarter as it receives more data to train on. They use both past and present models. So again, your self-driving cars would be an example of limited learning machines. And then there is phase three. Uh, this is the stuff that doesn't exist yet. And phase three would be theory of mind. Uh, there is no real world example that is able to process both thought and emotion, uniquely human, together like humans do, and which we would call human cognition. And for our more seasoned listeners, uh, this is data. You know, of Star Trek, the next generation, getting his emotional upgrade, scary stuff. Season four, episode three. And then there's the final stage, self-awareness. This is a sense of self, a conscious understanding of their existence. This type of AI doesn't exist yet. This is AI not simply saying, I am hungry, this is AI saying, I know that I am hungry. This is the point at which singularity occurs where machine learning eclipses human intelligence. Yeah, this is iRobot, Skynet, Matrix, Age of Ultron stuff. At present, it doesn't appear that we are at the seemingly scary stages of artificial intelligence, but there is a steady Roman-like march towards AI achieving the singularity. The benefits of Having access to a compendium of human knowledge with the ability to program machines to complete rote, repetitive tasks, including making predictions based on past and present behavior and providing a wide range of solutions to address clearly identified problems is indisputable. However, exploring how to reproduce the human mind seems to be knocking on doors humans should not and it raises a host of questions that are worth exploring alongside our development of this transformative technology. So what is intelligence? What does the human mind consist of? Can machines produce consciousness? Or is this strictly a human trait? But before we jump to explore these questions and outline how best to think about this topic, I'd like to repair a ruin or relay a foundation on how Christian educators should think about all topics that seem to blur the lines of reality. 
Charles Malik, uh, who was the principal drafter of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was authored in the wake of World War II, reminds his listeners in his lectures on the state of the university that Jesus was the missing link between the humanities and the sciences. And if this link is severed, there's a real and present cost to humanity. Paul reminds the Colossians that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what Malik asserts is that we have advancement, we can have advancement in technology and in philosophical thought, but a real education, the attainment of wisdom by way of truth, can never be achieved apart from Jesus Christ, who is big enough to hold together the seeming tension between the advances in math and science and in philosophy and theology. For both my shade tree and actual theologians, this is called the hypostatic union, that paradoxical declaration that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And in Jesus Christ, our modern capacity and propensity to compartmentalize and deconstruct finds its unity amid great diversity. The principle here is simple. We should continue to, with vigor, plumb the depths of AI and what it could do, but with equal vigor, explore how it might be both helpful and harmful to humanity, filtering both seemingly divergent endeavors through the rubric of gospel advancement and to bring glory to God. In the words of Charles Malik, what Jesus thinks about AI and its usage should be preeminent in our minds. Biblical worldview development and integration, anyone? So this leads me to point number one, kingdom advancement and prioritizing it. A key question we must ask as AI develops is, how might this technology be used to advance the kingdom of God? How might it be used to aid the communication of the gospel to the ends of the earth like Jesus commanded us? How might this technology aid the discipleship process? How might it remove social and economic barriers that often block the spiritual development of people? This question alone, I hope, gives us hope. If there is one thing we can affirm as believers, it is that God's in control of all things and he is the giver of good gifts. Yes, 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 I can hear you saying, what about when the bad guys get a hold of this stuff? Well, like all God-given tools, there are nefarious people who will use it for nefarious ends and humanity will invariably suffer. This is the consequence of living in sin. But again, let's remember it's a tool, so it goes both ways. And so this leads me to point number two. It's imperative that with any life transformative technology, we trust in God alone and see AI as a tool. It's a gift from God. It's not a savior. That's only Jesus Christ. Nor is it our enemy. Yes, it's easy to see AI as the spawn of the devil. Yes, the matrix is still playing in the back of my mind, by the way. But as stated, it can be used of God because it came from the mind of God. The danger is always at the extremes. There's a danger to seeing AI as savior, and this is no different than the golden calf debacle at the foothills of Mount Sinai, nor should we ignore it completely in a Peter-like, I shall not partake of such unclean things fashion. We must protect against those who propose that AI will be the last human invention and those who believe that we should halt any and all progress because of its potential harmfulness to humanity. 
The best approach or disposition is somewhere in the middle and the tension, again, is held together, not in our own minds, but in the mind of Jesus Christ. It's his will for the technology that should matter to us and not our own. Like most transformative technologies, it's already reshaping the world, even if we don't realize it. And it's challenging our conception of reality and our understanding of what it means to be human. The good news is that we've been here before. The bad news is that we haven't been here before. <laughs> and this reminds me of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle uh, that exposes the atrocities that resulted from industrialization. And again, we're beneficiaries of the industrial age. Modern everything came from this rapid migration of humanity from the farms to the cities, from our apparent agrarian prisons to urban freedom. The promises and possibilities of the Industrial Revolution were espoused by the likes of Karl Marx. And as they say, the rest is history. And unfortunately, those 19th century Enlightenment thinkers, according to Mortimer Adler, committed many philosophical mistakes that has had costly effects on the way we understand reality. The promise of the Industrial Revolution was that if you submit to the machine, the machine will reward you and grant you freedom. However, what Sinclair sought to highlight was that the machine gives you just enough freedom to keep you submitting to it and ultimately discard you if you no longer, if you are no longer able to give to the machine. Sounds like the matrix, y'all. <laughs> the fundamental shift was how the proponents of industrial thinking viewed the human being. Industrial thinking with this focus on efficiency and economy of scale does echo biblical stewardship, but beneficiaries of biblical stewardship are always human beings, unlike those of the industrial thinkers, especially those at the extreme, which Sinclair highlights, that ultimately chews up human beings and spits them out. And so this understanding applied to AI should cause us to thirdly always affirm human beings as special creations of God. You know, there's an irony in all of this, which George Gilder in, in Isaiah-like tone sounds the alarm for those who have ears to hear in Life After Google, particularly against those who have such faith in AI that they leave behind or swallow up Earth's most precious and unique resource, humans. How can humans program machines to achieve self-awareness when human beings themselves are struggling to understand in general the essence of being human? Just like my earlier questions, what is the essence of the human mind? Where does consciousness come from? What is intelligence? Well, Gilder has some strong, some very strong statements about Google in particular, their approach to AI and what AI is in general. Here's what Gilder says. He says, the Google system of the world focuses on the material environment rather than on human consciousness. It seeks singularity in machines rather than in human minds. He goes on to say that the assumption is that if you shuffle the electrons fast enough, you get consciousness and creativity. The speed of iteration, as Gilder says, is not the same as intelligence. Computing speed and intelligence are not equivalent. The machines are deterministic and the programmers are creative. He says, deterministic mathematics cannot produce creative consciousness. That means that the AI movement 
far from replacing human brains, is going to find itself imitating them. And here is one of Gilder's strongest assertions. He says, AI cannot compete with human intelligence that connects symbols and objects. AI cannot do without the human mind that provides it with symbol systems and language, programs it, structures the information it absorbs in training, whether word, patterns, or pixels, provides and formulates the big data in which it finds numerical correlation. And Gilder says, AI cannot think at all. Gilder's admonition should be taken seriously. I mean, he is the guy who predicted in 1994 that personal devices would displace network television. Amongst Gilder's most shocking assertions is that a number of AI champions have a religious or cult-like affinity for what they are developing that will naturally demand a totalitarian approach to achieve its end. And so, as it stands, there are two barriers that companies like Google face in order to achieve singularity. Number one is the collection of data. Uh, they would need to have access to it all. This could possibly be mandated by Google or some future iteration of it. And then secondly, processing power. In order for singularity to be reached, technological processing would need to keep up with the ability to be able to process all of that data. So total data, data access plus processing power, we are a ways off, but who knows? The point being is that if AI singularity is prioritized above the development of human consciousness, then guess who wins? Guess who loses? These folks are developing the Borg and don't even know it. Existence as you know it is over. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. And so this leads me to the last of my philosophical considerations on how to think well about AI. And that is AI's development and usage flows from one's worldview. The programmer is never morally neutral, no, no matter how much he or she denies it. We are all products of our time, our place, our circumstances in which we are born. Ultimately, what we consider to be paramount will flow from the condition of our heart. As Dr. David Noggle suggests in Worldview, the History of a Concept, there are really only two worldviews, a heart averted to God and one that is not. And here's what Gilder also says about this. He says, the problem is not AI itself. There, he's talking about Google, their assumption springs from a belief in evolution as a random process that has produced suboptimal human brains, relatively crude computer wetware, which in time can be expelled in silicon. He continues, all these pursuits reflect a breakdown of terrestrial intelligence. The intellectual of this era are simply blind to the reality of consciousness. Consciousness is who we are, how we think, how we know. It echoes with religious intuitions and psychological identity. It is the essence of mind as opposed to machine. It is the source of creativity and free will. If you don't understand it, you may have a theory of computers, but you don't have a notion of intelligence. Gilder goes on to say the blind spot of AI is that consciousness does not emerge from thought. It is the source of it. And I love this, what Gilder says. He says, they have cogs and gears, but no cognition. 
And then lastly, Gilder says this. He says, real, real science shows that the universe is a singularity and thus a creation. Creation is an entropic product of a higher consciousness echoed by human consciousness. The higher consciousness which throughout human history we have found it convenient to call God endows human creators with the space to originate surprising things. Now for me, I think this presents a unique opportunity to the Christian educator. So rather than maintaining a purely utopian or dystopian view of AI, perhaps we explore its possibilities from kingdom advancement perspective. For those schools that have the resources, I encourage you beef up your mathematics and science programs, but make sure it is thoroughly linked with your spiritual formation program. We're bringing glory to God in all our pursuits is the chief aim. How great would it be if our graduates were the programmers of AI? Grafted Together is a presentation of the Association of Christian Schools International. Learn more about biblical worldview and spiritual formation at acsi.org slash grafted together.